Now, many, many moons ago, golly, it's been more than 20 years now, I was in driver's ed. And I went to Hillsboro, Ohio for my driver's ed classes. Now, two things I remember about my driver's ed course. Number one is that the teacher gave us all the answers to the test. So we were studying and preparing, but actually when we took the test, it was mainly just filling in answers. But it wasn't me, it was the teacher. And then secondly, we were supposed to do 10 hours, 10 hours of on-the-road driving with the instructor by our side. But my sister and I were taking the course at the same time. So he said, you, you two just ride with me, and that means you each will do five. So, I mean, I wasn't really ready when I took my road test. Can you imagine? Because I had been given the answers by the teacher, and my ten hours of time on the road actually ended up being five. So when I went to take my written test, I passed. But when I went to take my road test, I think it was the teacher's fault. I mean, the instructor's fault. She made me nervous. So we get out on the road, and we're driving along, and I'm, making, I'm going really slow, and I'm being really careful. And I'm making all the stops and all the turns. But somewhere along the way, and I couldn't remember it until after the fact, there was a stop sign that I swear was obstructed almost completely by a tree. Well, I did not see the stop sign, and so apparently, according to the instructor, I blew right through it. And as soon as that happened, she said, you can return back to the, to the, to the testing station. So I thought, man, I've done so good that we don't even need to finish the test. And I was sadly mistaken. I failed my first driver's test. Now, I did pass the second time, so don't be discouraged for me. But that first time, I failed. And you and I, we don't have a problem with there being only one way to obtain a driver's license, right? Would you feel very safe if the, the DDS had said, that's okay, you failed your test, here's the license anyway? Would that make you feel safe to have people like that on the road? So we don't really have a problem with there being only one way to obtain a driver's license. But some people today have a problem with Christians saying there's only one way to God, Jesus. Many people believe that Jesus is not the only way to God. But as we'll see from his own words, Jesus claims to be just that. In fact, there's two prevailing opinions about the Christian faith from popular culture right now. And they say Christianity is exclusive. You know, it leaves people out. And Christianity is intolerant. And in our culture today, tolerance is very highly valued, almost above any other value. The other nations don't seem so concerned. America, we're very concerned with tolerance. But I believe that people have more of a problem with Christians than with Christianity. That's what I believe. It's a people problem. DC Talk said years ago, this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So truly, when you think about Christianity and its basic, and its root, it's inclusive. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he's, he's very inclusive. Sinners felt very comfortable around Jesus. They felt very welcomed. By Jesus, But Christians tend to be exclusive, right? You're either with us or you're against us. When I was growing up, many churches were known for what they were against. You couldn't really tell what they were for. 
But you certainly knew what they were against, right? Maybe you grew up like this. And also, Christianity itself is tolerant of sinners, in a sense. Through Christ, through Jesus, sinners can be forgiven. People who have offended a holy God can be forgiven and included and restored and redeemed. So Christianity is inclusive. But Christians are intolerant. We're right and everybody else is wrong. Even if you're, an, even if you're a Christian and you go to a different church, I'm going to say that in certain matters, we're right and you're wrong. So Christianity is tolerant because of Jesus, but Christians are so my theory is that we don't have a problem with something being true. Most people don't. Like, we don't have a problem with there being only one way to get a driver's license. But we do have a problem with something that doesn't make sense. The reason that you and I accept traffic citations, right? Now, it's, it's hard, but we accept them because we know that the same system that's punishing us now is, is the system that protects us later. And so we accept it. We go and we pay our parking ticket. Because we know that system also protects us. In other words, we can accept things that make sense. But we can't accept them if they don't. A couple of months ago, there was a young woman sightseeing in a picturesque area of southwest China where we had been. She was out, hanging out. You can imagine doing what? You know, in, in, in a bar. And she got beat up by locals. They just, they, they, really, they really hurt her. They hurt her in a way that was going to not be able to be healed particularly on her face. And they were bragging to her while they were hurting her, saying that we know the local officials, so don't even bother reporting us. And sadly, it was true, because she did. She posted on the internet. She tried to get sympathy. She tried to get some kind of response from the authorities, and they just kept sweeping it under the rug. They said, oh, you've only suffered class one injuries. But then she posted the pictures online, and there, there's not been any justice for her. In a society where rule of law is not evenly applied, the individual is not safe. And because the system didn't make sense, it left her feeling vulnerable and frustrated. So I believe many people are looking for something that makes sense. They know they need wisdom. They know they need guidance for life and marriage and career decisions and parenting. But they also need to know that faith is not going to leave them feeling frustrated and vulnerable. And maybe you grew up in a church, like I've been in a church when I was young, that made you feel frustrated, and it made you feel vulnerable. People are open to advice, but they're not interested in feeling condemned. Today we're going to look at an analogy that Jesus used in John, John chapter 10. In this passage, he describes himself as a pathway to the life that God wants for us. A life of security, guidance, and provision. And Jesus claims to be a sole distributor of these things. He claims to have exclusive rights to be globally and eternally inclusive. And what's funny is it didn't leave the disciples feeling frustrated and vulnerable. It left them feeling comforted and confident. Turn with me to John chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 10 this morning. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. And Jesus is going to talk about saying, I am the gate. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he says, I am the gate. Conversely, he says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. So what is a thief? What are the characteristics of a thief? The thief is in it for himself. He treats sheep like a commodity to be leveraged for his own benefit. His relationship with the sheep is not personal. He's just trying to get a hold of an asset and leverage it for his own benefit. And Jesus is clearly referring here to the religious leaders in the audience. And they're about to get mad at him again. In John chapter 9, if you remember this story, there's a man who was healed. And he went to the religious leaders and he said, I've been healed, I've been cleansed. And they said, who did it? And he said, it was Jesus. And they said, no, it wasn't. He said, no, really, really, it was Jesus. He said, no, no, it wasn't. Give glory to God. And the man said, you know what? I'm not as smart as you guys, but I know that Jesus healed me. And they threw him out of the synagogue. And they condemned him. They condemned a man that had been healed by Jesus. These guys saw themselves as gatekeepers who could grant or refuse admittance into favor with God. And so Jesus is challenging them. He's calling them thieves. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief is unscrupulous. He doesn't blush when taking care of himself. This is because he's the main character in his own story. And there's nothing off the table when it comes to getting his. And that was these religious leaders. They didn't mind condemning somebody else. They didn't mind shutting people out of the kingdom of God if it was to their own advantage. And so Jesus challenges them. It reminds me of the character in Gladiator. Who all seen that? All the guys say yes. You have not seen it. No. So Commodus, you know, is the, the guy that takes over for Marcus Aurelius. And he's a really bad guy. And he doesn't hesitate to do whatever it takes to get in power and to stay in power. It's like it, he's the only one in the story. He's the main character, and everybody else is playing just a bit part. And so that's what it's like for the thief. But here's the tricky part. You know, you and I, none of us would say, none of us would identify with the thief, right? None of us would identify with the bad guy. But if we don't put our faith in Jesus, then we're prone to become like a thief. And let me just characterize it a little bit differently. A thief is somebody who's just about taking it's all about receiving. It's all about getting for myself. And if we're not trusting in Jesus, the gate, then we're prone to have that kind of behavior. Last week we talked about having a bigger yes. If we have not put our faith and trust in Jesus, then it's difficult to say no to self. If we have not put our faith in Jesus and joined the flock, then we're likely to begin patterning our lives like those, after those who don't have a higher calling than ourselves. So firstly, Jesus is the gate that saves us from ourselves. Because if, if left to our own devices, if left to follow our own way, we're going to be like a thief. We're going to look at every situation seeing what we can get out of it, what we can extract from it. But Jesus saves us from ourselves. The second point is that a secure gate Provides access to those who belong. You know, at night, the sheep were often gathered into a sheep pen to protect them from the thieves, from the weather, or wild animals. 
And you know what's interesting about that? Is guess who slept at the gate? The shepherd, right? So there was only one way in and one way out. And it was the shepherd himself. And we're going to talk about that in another week or two. So the gatekeeper, the shepherd, functioned as a gate, letting the sheep in and protecting them. Jesus is the gate to God's salvation for us. He offers us access to safety and security. And some people resent that Jesus is the gate, that he's the only way to God. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And some people may argue that this is too narrow, right? It's too narrow. You're, you're excluding too many people. But if you think about it another way, it's incredibly inclusive. In fact, it's wide enough for the whole world. Jesus is the gate and he's wide enough for the whole world. When talking about his own people, Paul burned for them to believe. You, you remember this passage? He burned so much that he was willing to offer himself in their place. He was willing to be excluded so they could be included. Talk about an inclusive faith. Talk about a Savior that inspires us to be inclusive. He is the gate. And Jesus says, whoever enters through me will be saved. You know, once you and I enter through the gate, we find the safety and the security that we long for. We find people that we can trust. We find the peace and the rest that our souls long for. As the gate, Jesus provides access to what we need the most, doesn't he? Without him, without going through Jesus the pathway, the gate, we're not going to have what we need. We're not going to have the peace that we need. We're not going to have the rest that we need, the forgiveness that we need, the fellowship that we need. Jesus is the gate. And he provides access to what we need the most. And then finally this morning, dwelling in Christ brings both guidance and provision. Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. Full life. You know, part of the Jewish Passover includes pouring wine into a goblet that's on top of a saucer. And so what they do every Sabbath, Saturday evening, is somebody symbolically pours wine into the goblet. But they don't stop when it's full. They let it overflow into the saucer. And the point is, is that's a challenge to the believer that they need to be out working hard and earning not just enough to provide for their families, but they need to be working hard to provide enough to share. And I believe that's a picture of what God wants for us in the abundant life. He, wants, he doesn't just want to pour enough in to provide for us. He wants to pour to overflowing, abundant life so that we can share with others, so that we can be a blessing to others, that it, he fills us up with blessings that overflow. The life that Jesus offers us is eternal. If we will enter through the gate, he describes three things that we will find. He says here in verse, verse 9, he says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in, he will go out, and he will find pasture. 
So he says, first of all, they'll come in. You know, I'm the gate. They'll come into this safe place, this enclosure, where they can be sheltered from the wind, sheltered from the wild animals, from the thieves, from the enemies, and they'll be secure. So when you and I enter into the gate, we can breathe. We're safe. We're with the shepherd. He is guarding the gate. He is not permitting evil in. And we're secure. Secondly, he says they will go out. Anytime they went out that gate, they had guidance. They had somebody with them, somebody leading the way. And that's what Jesus is promising to you and I today when he says, I am the gate. He's going to give us guidance. He's going to be with you and with me every day when we get up, when we go out, when we get in the car, when we go to work, when we go to pay bills. He's going to be with us. He's going to be guiding us. And then thirdly, he says they will find pasture. In other words, the shepherd's not just going to give them a place to be safe and secure. He's, and he's not just going to guide them. But he's promising. The shepherd was responsible to provide. And indeed they would find pasture. So we see these promises that were given because Jesus is the gate. That we're going to find security. That we're going to have guidance. And that we're going to be provided for. The bottom line today is that Jesus is the only way to life. There's no other way. And for some people that's hard to swallow. But for the disciples... In this context, it wasn't hard at all. I mean, they had seen what the religious leaders were offering. They had seen what the pagan religions were offering. And it was empty. It wasn't secure. They weren't being guided. They weren't being provided for. But when Jesus said this, I am the gate, I am the only way, they felt comforted. They felt confident. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. We've seen him. We've known him. We've walked with him. We can trust him. We can follow him. And we can give our lives for him because we believe that he is the gate. He is the only way to life. You know, the life that Jesus offers is eternal, but it begins immediately, the abundant life. And not the kind of life that a self-focused person or a thief would pursue, but a good life, an abundant life, a life of service and significance, a life of fellowship and trustworthy companions like we experience in these four walls, a life of seeking and dwelling. Every time I think about this guy, it makes me smile. His name is Bob Ambrosius. He's 80 years old now. He was one of our instructors in missionary training. And I see pictures of him on Facebook. He's in the Philippines right now. Even though it, it, it endangers his life, the, the, his health. Is not great. And when he goes over there and he gets this, he calls it tropical sprue, it can endanger his life, but he goes anyway. He's 80 years old, but he's still overseeing construction projects. He's actively involved in Bible translation, and he's still as giddy as a schoolboy. Talk to him. He is truly living the abundant life, but it's not, it's not through this. It's not because he has a big house. I think he lives in a small house in Alabama. It's not because he has accomplishments and accolades in that lake house. But he is living the abundant life. Life in Christ is lived on a higher plane. You see further. You see clearer. You're not hindered by the past. But you're satisfied in the present. And you look forward to the future. So the question today is, are you, have you walked through the gate? Have you found the security in Christ that's available? 
Are you daily experiencing the guidance so that you know not only are you not alone, but you're not on your own. You're not alone. Jesus is with you and you're not on your own. Jesus is guiding you. Jesus is leading you. He's influencing your decisions. He's opening and closing doors. You have guidance. You're not, on, you're not alone and you're not on your own. And then thirdly, you have provision. We don't worry about today. We don't worry about tomorrow. We know that God is providing for us. And we know that because we've gone through the gate, the only way that Jesus will provide for us. So do you believe that today? That Jesus is the only way to life. God, thank you for this morning and this chance to be together in your house. I do pray that we would look only to you, Jesus. That we would enter through you. and That we would find that security that we're all longing for and pining for, God. And the world doesn't even see it. They don't even know how to gain it. And they try so hard. And God, we find the guidance that we need so that we're not just stumbling around in the dark, but we're walking in the light. And we find that provision that we do. We get what we need. Not always what we want. Not always what we, what we think we desire. But we get enough. And more than enough, God. I mean, we're, we live in America, the richest nation in the world. And even, even though sometimes it feels like we're struggling to get by, you are providing for our basic daily needs. And we're so grateful for that. And you also are giving us enough, not just materially, but, but spiritually and emotionally, to be able to share and be a blessing to others. So we do want to acknowledge, Jesus, the truth of what you've shared with us today, that you are the gate and you are the way, the only way to life. It's in your name I pray.